Podcast of the Cinema, starring you, Dave White, and me, Alonzo Duralde. Oh, I get, I get to have my name sung. Sure, why not? I like it. Uh, we're both film critics for the Rap. I co-host some other podcasts. Yes, we are a couple. We're exhausted of swell. Not with each other, though. <laughs> no, we're just just life in the world. It's a time. It's a. It's a it's an enervating Wednesday afternoon. Kinda. Late in the afternoon. Yes. In fact. And you didn't answer my question yet. Regarding Well, would you rather do this podcast hangry or burpy? Which one is it? You gotta pick one. They both have problems. They and do. Nobody listening needs to know the burpy part. I'd rather do it post eating dinner, which is what we chose to do. Yes. because uh, I was so hungry that I thought I can't make it through a podcast. Fair. Until I make mm-hmm. us some food. So if you have to pause the the proceedings for a minute for us to, you know <clears throat> Yes. Do the things that happen to people when they're digesting. Right. Sometimes, not always. No. We're not wild animals. Speak for yourself. I'm a listen. I'm a I'm a I'm a, re, a refined urbane creature. Sure, you're a domesticated pussycat. A sub- <laughs> yes, it's true. I am. Um, we have uh, so many films. We do. I've seen four of them. You've seen five of them. Yes, and you know we could just start with the one you saw that I did not. And explain why I haven't seen it yet. Long-time listeners will be shocked that we're going to actually get into the movies in the first five minutes. You sure you want to? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Here's the thing, right? Our usual energetic banter that takes place in the first five to, oh, 20 minutes of this podcast. (laughs) Where we just turn the mic on to our otherwise... Conversations we otherwise would simply just be having. Yeah. So, like I was saying, um, as I said, it is five forty-five p.m. on okay. a Wednesday afternoon. I'm, I'm beat. Okay. But you know what? I'm soldiering through a podcast okay. with you, uh, for the sake of cinema. It's so very important. Fair enough. Cinema, and I, uh, uh. But otherwise, like the minute we're done, I won't be talking to you for the rest of the evening, most likely. I'll be like retiring to your chambers. (laughs) Yes. Somebody last week uh, asked, it was Julius, who wrote us an Ask Us Anything question for the Linoleum Nights show. Yes. Patreon. He was talking about parasocial relationships and what you give if you're putting out, if you're putting something out into into the public, mm-hmm. and you are 
you know, involved with the person that you're making it with, making yeah. the, the product with. The product in question being this podcast and all the other podcasts that we do mm. under the banner of the linoleum knife family of fine products. <laughs> the the question was, how much of you is in this podcast? Like, are you curating a version of yourself? Are you giving us everything? And I would like to officially state that today I'm curating my last ounce of energy <laughs> for this podcast on this day and for my uh, uh, my spouse who is sitting here at the table who I have just lovingly prepared dinner for. It's true. Look, um, like there Mariah was no, nothing, Carey. Nothing special as a patty melt, but like. It was very nice. Yes. Like Mariah Carey on Cribs. Yes. We have to have some things that we keep Something to just ourselves. For me. Yeah. yeah. Here's what's going to be just for me tonight. I'm going to stare into space like a zombie after my nice hot shower. Great. And I might sit on the couch with you and watch something on the television, or I might ignore you. I haven't decided yet. Okay. You haven't done anything wrong. You're not in trouble. It's been 27 years. I I roll with (laughs) whatever. No, no, no. No, 27 years has nothing to do about it. Nothing to do with it. Wednesday has everything okay. to do with it. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, yeah. not. I'm not over you. I'm just over this day. I heard and understood. You get it. I do. You get it. I totally get it. I dropped my glasses at the Grove, and it was very difficult to pick them back up because I have super arthritis in my hips, and I use a cane to walk right now. And you were by yourself. I was by myself, and no one. <laughs> you. This is, you gave, you said the most adorable question when I walked in the door. Didn't anybody try to help you? And I said. I kind of half knew what the answer was. And I said, darling, we live in Los Angeles. (laughs) I thought maybe a tourist, you know, they're at the Grove. They Uh, don't know any better. They would have been helpful. Tourists are mean. True. (laughs) Just looking at their screens all day. Um. See, we filled up our time of of, of nonsense chatter. <laughs> Yay! Us. Is everybody happy now? <laughs> all right. Um, okay, it's, saw... it's Academy Awards season. Boy, I and mean... all the other awards season. It's October. That means they're cranking them out. Mm-hmm. They're dropping them into theaters. They're yeah. plopping them in front of our faces. Yep. And they're not doing it on uh, streaming. They're putting them right into movie theaters. In limited release, and then they platform them, and so the 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 buzz and the excitement it builds <laughs> so high. It's a sky high tower of buzz and excitement. Yes. Here's what also it is: the season of some long ass yes. movies, and as I just mentioned, it's very difficult for me to pick up something on the ground that I dropped. You know what else that means? It means it's difficult for me to sit through a three-hour movie right now. And this is the season of the three-hour movie. I love a three-hour movie. Like a five-hour movie. Like a seven-hour movie. I've been through it all. But currently, (laughs) in my state, in my physical state, Kate Blanchett is going to have to wait. Blanchett. Oh, is it Blanchett? It's Blanchett. We've been over this. Have we? Okay. Yes. Well, she's going to have to wait for me to get a 
an L.A. Film Critics Association screener <laughs> of the film Tar, directed by Todd Field. Yes. Uh, because I just can't do it in a theater. It's, it is far too lengthy a film. It is nearly three hours long. So you saw it, though. I did. And you have things to say about it. When I finally get a shot to see it, I'm, I'm guessing within the next month, those screeners are going to start dropping here in the, oh, at the door. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, Alonzo is a member of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association, and they have to vote in December. And that means current theatrical releases just show up at our home. Yes. It's one of those weird little perks of your membership in LAFCA. Talk about tar. I'll sit here and be quiet. So, uh, Kate Blanchett stars as Lydia Tar, and the movie opens with her doing one of those, like, New Yorker talks. Okay. So, like, Adam Gopnik spends a good five or ten minutes just, like, listing all of her amazing credits. She right. was a young prodigy discovered by Van Heflin. She has, she's an EGOT. Um, she has, you know, like, is one of the world's sort of leading orchestra conductors. Uh, serious, 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 high-minded art, 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 art. And then we find out, as Dave has pointed out, I meant Van Cliburn, <laughs> not Van Heflin. Fine character actor, Van he Heflin. Was, yes, but has not, nothing to do with the American not who we're talking classical about. music world at right. all. All right, all right. F- felt pretty good, didn't it? No, I just was like, I think you said the wrong thing, so I was very quietly <laughs> okay. You know, anyway, googly googly googling. So Lydia Tarr, very big deal, very important, very powerful, very accomplished. Uh huh. Obviously, if we find all this out in the first ten or fifteen minutes of the movie, there's nowhere to go but down. Right. And what we learn about her is that she wields her power somewhat ruthlessly. Oh. She perhaps has uh, exploited her power to. Uh, get close to um, young women music, musicians, you know, potential so proteges. she's a lesbian. She's a lesbian. Okay. She's in a long-term relationship uh, with a cellist, I want to say, played by uh, Nina Haas. Okay. And uh, she has a, an assistant played by Noemi Merlant from um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yes. Who has aspirations of becoming a conductor herself and thinks this job is going to get her there. And... Um, you know, the more time that we spend with Lydia, the more we find out she's kind of terrible. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, we also see that some sins from the past threaten to sort of uh, upend the apple cart and take away all of her privilege and all of her power. Okay. Um, I, I this is a, this is one of the three Venice movies that I saw before getting COVID and then went up not reviewing it because <laughs> I had the brain fog. You, yeah, you couldn't write when you had the COVID. Uh, yeah. But I, I remember thinking my headline was going to be like she plays a a Weinstein kind of Bernstein. Oh my! Because yeah, she's it, you you find out really terrible stuff about her and but of course you know she as as you find with people who have done you know who are involved in these sorts of scandals that that you know her version of what really happened and her you know guiltlessness is what she always carries around front and center but obviously the more time we spend in her orbit the more we sort of realize oh no there's more going on here i see um it's very intense it's it's 
a very precise kind of movie. Todd Field has not directed a film since Little Children. Yes. And I think this is only like his third or fourth feature. He hasn't made a lot of movies. Yeah, he did In the Bedroom um, and and Little Children. Uh, But this one is like, there it is... the, it, the, it's so designed in terms of like the sound and the way that it's edited. Right. Uh, you know, um, it's like I said, it's a, it's a very precise kind of movie. And uh, yeah, it's his third feature. And it's, it, it is, it, 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 it becomes harder and harder to watch just because everything is getting more swirling and complicated and difficult and you're sort of finding out more and more stuff that you you wish you never knew and then you start finding out about like her past and her sort of construction of herself yeah um but yeah it's pretty great and uh Kate Blanchett is a house on fire like huh. this is this is one of those roles that really lets an actress dig in right. deep and she's doing it she's 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 squeezing every last drop of this story and this character and, and all the layers that, that she's portraying and the the kind of sort of seductive manipulation that she's capable of and the uh-huh. way she talks about what she does and what the conductor does and how they the, the level of control that they exert over the piece. You know, the, the, the much of the plot is revolving around. She's recorded all the Mahler symphonies except for the fifth and now she's going to do the fifth. And so that's part of the whole pressure of all the things that's going on around her. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. And and as somebody who, like, I have great respect for Kate Blanchard, but I don't think she's always hitting it. Like last year, I thought she delivered two not great performances uh, in in Nightmare Alley and in um, Don't Look Up. Uh, I, you know. I, I no notes. She's great in this. She's my favorite thing in Nightmare Alley. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, other than the the look of Nightmare I was gonna Alley. Going to say the art direction yeah. was my favorite thing in Nightmare Alley. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I am very much looking forward for, to you seeing it, and we'll get into. I it. I will. It sounds like the feel bad movie of the holiday season. So yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> it 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 has a sort of European grimness that you'll really really you know okay. uh, dig into. I think. Well, we'll see. <laughs> um, hey, guess what? What? Ovid. Yes. They they're doing an, an ad with us. They are. We oh, like. We love that. O v i d Ovid TV. They are a streaming service mm-hmm. that digs deep into the art house, and they bring you stuff that uh, you might miss. Yeah. Otherwise, currently uh, this month they've got. Uh, Blue Island. You ever heard of that? Tell me. A documentary from Chan Se Woon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about Hong Kong. Okay. It's about the s- struggle for you know democratic freedoms. I have heard about this. Yes. So it's a really inventive documentary because it mixes you know documentary archival footage mm-hmm. of uh, protests and you know recent protests. Sure. With Dramatic recreations of moments in Hong Kong's uh, history, and he cast student activists, some of whom are actually awaiting trial Hmm. to participate in these reenactments. Then, people who were really in the moments in Hong Kong's history, the the people who were there, Mm -hmm. some of them are in these uh, 
reenactments. Dramatic reenactments. Oh, fascinating. So it's it's this hybrid of you know straightforward doc and you know docudrama. In, inventive docudrama about the protests that have been going on. I mean, because you know, like Hong Kong, China said, "Oh yeah, you're going to stay independent," and then they've just been slowly putting the screws to it. Right. And so that's what this is a film about, and I highly recommend it. And that's just one of the many films that you can stream on Ovid.tv. Yeah, they've which... also got uh, Jennifer Venditti's documentary uh, called Billy the Kid from uh-huh. 2007. Do you remember that one? Rings a bell. Uh, it's about a kid in Maine, and it's about him growing up. It's a documentary about a, a, a teenager huh. growing up in a you know small town in Maine. Cool. Uh, and it's very sort of moving and heartfelt. And uh, I remember when it, I remember when it came out back in the like what was it, fifteen years ago now. Right. But this is the kind of thing that would normally get lost. Yes. Uh, you know, indie film. It unless unless it gets a, a groundswell of attention. Right. And and stays in the in the in the you know the cultural memory. Or has stuff can just fade away. And what I love about this service is that they they reclaim things that you maybe you missed. Yeah, and you want it. You really want to see. And they really cast a wide net. You know, if you are interested in in indie films, art house, international documentaries, shorts, even um, you know, it is a word that we tend to shun, but this is a case which actually applies, curated yeah. uh, to feature a lot of you know really great films and a lot of stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. And so uh, we are delighted to be sponsored this week by Ovid.tv. Would you like to tell them about the, the big deal that they get? Why don't you, since you're right. in front of you? The word, the offer code is linoleum. You can spell it. L-I-N-O-L-E-U-M. We all know how to spell linoleum. Sure we do. It's the name of this program. Type in that code word, you get 50% off your first three months nice. of subscribing to Ovid. Do it. It's a way to let them know we sent you. Yeah. Like, they'll be like, oh, that ghost guys are worth advertising with. Yes. So what I'm saying is, if you don't do this... <laughs> You're letting us down. Stop. And yourself. <laughs> well, yeah, you are Everyone's missing... going to be disappointed in you, including you. You're missing out on some great movies. <laughs> That's, we'll leave it at that. The American Dream. Yes. And other fairy tales. So, Abigail Disney uh, is a fascinating person. Uh, Rich and, as hell. Yes. <laughs> an and, heiress. And yet... <laughs> Guess why? Figure it out. Yes. Spell her last name. It ain't linoleum. It's Disney. She is one of uh, Roy's daughters. Granddaughters. Granddaughters, right. Sorry. And, yes. and, and Walt's great niece. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, she is also a very accomplished documentarian and has done uh, films about a lot of different topics. And for this one, she is basically looking at the American economy and why it is such a disaster for working class people, why there is such shocking disparity between, you know, what CEOs take home versus what their lowest paid employees take home. And she 
examines this by going into the company that she has the most access to, which would be Disney. In 2018, uh, a worker at one of the Disney parks uh, just reached out to her on yeah, Facebook. Sent her an e- or sent her an email, I think. And asked her to try to do something about the pay gap. You know, the, what Disneyland and, par- and, and Disney World call cast members. Yes. Uh, the park employees. The average park employee makes 2,000 times less than, at the time, uh, uh, Iger. What was his first Bob name? Iger. Bob Iger. Um, and that's, that's insane. Yeah. And, uh, and so she sort of using Disney as the lens of all this. Mm-hmm. She talks about the beginnings of the company. She talk, I mean, you know, which of course includes animators going on strike against Great Uncle Walt. I mean, her sympathies are with the worker throughout. You right. know, even when they they jibe with what what one might consider her best interests or her family interests. Um, you know, she talks about the way that employees were treated when Walt and Roy were alive and running things. The the um, the the the. Oh, God, what's the word I want here? It's, I don't know. It's a math There's word. so many words that you can choose from. <laughs> the the proportion of salary allocated to the people on top versus the park employees right. versus what it is now. Uh, and then she talks to a lot, uh, like a handful of different park employees who are trying to make ends meet while still working for the company and like yep. full-time employees for the company. And people who've been there in some cases 30, 40 years. Right. And who would not making living wages? Yeah, not not earning enough to 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 pay rent, to to raise a family, to go to school, um, and so you know she is taking on a very big topic, but in a very manageable prism. Yeah, and you know it's it, it's it's fascinating and it's riveting and it's heartbreaking. Because, you know... This could be a docu-series. It's like a 90-minute movie, but there's so much to cover. Sure. In what she's trying to do that, you know, if we're going to be critics here about the formal aspects of a documentary, it could be longer. <laughs> it could be more, you know, streamlined. But the point is is clear. She's not just trying to take down Disney's reputation. No. She is calling attention to the fact that corporate dominance of American life and of global life means most of the people who work for the corporations that run the world are struggling. Yeah. And she's basically kind of calling out the disparities between the sort of like post-war boom economy yeah. where America had this really powerful and and large middle class yeah. and how, you know, Nixon and Reagan and their cronies have just chipped, chipped, chipped away at that yeah. until we have what is essentially what's, what seems like serfdom now. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it is, it is lunacy that you have like billionaires who are who, whose whose wealth only increased during the course of the pandemic, and at the same time are like treating their employees like garbage and not paying them enough and putting them in unsafe working conditions and not caring. What's the what's the what's the line? Every billionaire is a policy failure. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, Roy Disney, Walt Disney did not like 
you know, they did not wear a barrel to work. They did not live in a shanty. They had very nice homes and very nice lives and, and yep. obviously had, you know, estates to leave to their oh, yeah. to their children and their grandchildren. Yep. And yet they were they were not making six hundred times, you know, what their lowest employee two, would make. Two thousand two thousand times. Two thousand so get the number right. Sorry, yes. Two thousand times what their what their yeah. least paid employees were getting. So yeah, um this is I mean yeah, in a formal sense there's this is not like reinventing the documentary in any way but it, it she's a very good storyteller yes. on, a, on a human level yes both her own personal experience as somebody who grew up in this family but also the people that she talks to i think she's she has she's very compassionate about um capturing what they're about and what their hopes are and, and what they're having to struggle with um as employees of the company you can uh this is get this is getting a Little bit of a art house theatrical release, yeah. But you can now uh, it's, uh, you stream can... it on Amazon, uh, Apple TV, yeah. Vudu, couple places. So you you got the internet. It's out there for rent. You can you can see it. Yeah. Which leads us to <laughs> Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> oh, speaking of how the rich people are the worst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ruben Oslund, uh, his new film. Yes. He made The Square. Force Majeure. Force Majeure. This film won the Palme d'Or this year at Cannes. Yep. His second. It is... Uh, oh, did The Square also win the Palme d'Or? Uh, it did. Well, they like him there then. It's funny, Ben Kroll, who reviewed the film out of Cannes for the rap, was writing about how, like, well, you know, the, the audience really responds to it. They liked it a lot, but it's just, I think it might be a little too much for him to get another Palm d'Or this year. And then it turns out, nope, nope, it was not too much. So, we begin with the story of Carl and Yaya. Yes. They are models. They are a couple. Harris Dickinson plays Carl. What was that movie he was in? The uh, gay one? Beach Rats. Beach Rats. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Yes. Charlie Dean, who's just been a very few things, and tragically... Yeah, just passed away recently. Recently died of a, uh, like a bronchial infection. She apparently had been in a car accident years ago and had her spleen removed. Yeah, and which so, opens you to more infections, exactly, apparently. Yeah. Um, she was 32. Yeah. This happened like eight weeks ago. Like, not end, long ago. End of very, August. Yeah, yeah, just really, really sad. Um, so there are a couple. And in their world, uh, both of them are models. She makes more than he does. Uh, women who model make more than men who model. And they're having this conversation over dinner as he's complaining that he has to pick up the check. And she said, you know what? My career will also be shorter than yours. <laughs> so... Doesn't it all balance out? Well, it's a, it's a conversation that goes back and forth in a way that if you liked force majeure and enjoyed the awkward interactions yeah. between a couple, uh, it, it has a flavor of that, like, just, what, no nobody wants to say anything, and then they're, like, trying not to have an argument, but they're both being really, like, you know, saying really kind of passive-aggressive stuff, and it just gets it gets more and more awkward as it goes along. As if to underscore this this point and not as if to underscore but definitely to underscore this point 
uh, not long after this, there's a fashion show uh, with Carl in the audience. He's not walking. I think maybe Yaya is walking yeah. in the show. Um, and the, there's a big, you know, screen behind the models that says, everyone is equal. <laughs> Cynicism is optimism. Those is, you know, phrases, right? Yeah. And um, he gets booted out of his seat yes. by the publicists. Like, his position in the fashion world is not much. Right. You know, he's tall. He's good looking. He can frown for Balenciaga and smile for H&M. And that's what he's, that's what he's for. And he knows it. Like, yeah. he knows where he stands. In fact, he also knows where he stands because they wind up on a luxury yacht on a cruise that was given to... Yaya yes. for free. Because she's an influencer. She is also an Instagram personality in addition to being a, uh, a runway model. And her job is to be on this, you know, very exclusive $250 million yacht and take pictures of herself enjoying it. Right. You know, fake eating a bowl of pasta, Stuff like that. They're very much the youngest people on this cruise. They are absolutely the youngest people, except for a squalling baby that we hear later <laughs> yes. on uh, in the process. But mo most of these people are like, you know, they're retired arms dealers. They meet a Russian oligarch who's, uh, who's you know, cornered the uh, fertilizer, fertilizer market. market. Um, no, no, uh, no one can accuse Ruben Oslon of subtlety. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's make my super rich billionaire Russian guy a fertilizer king. Um, so they're all on this boat. The captain is Woody Harrelson, who is an alcoholic socialist. Oh, he's uh, an alcoholic Marxist. Specifically, yes. Yeah. He says repeatedly, I'm not a communist, I'm a Marxist. They um, are, uh, the boat is staffed by... Uh, Tourist-facing staff who are mostly white yes. and whose job it is to say yes yeah. to literally everything. They seem to be like mostly Scandinavian. And then yeah. everyone who is below deck, working in the kitchen, Cooks, housekeeping. Engine room, housekeeping, all people of color. Yes. And so this is what you think it is. It is a satirical look at how terrible it is uh, for everyone who isn't extremely, obnoxiously, stupidly, obliviously rich. But by the end of the movie, it will also be terrible for them. <laughs> because this is... Yes. It's a It's a film in three chapters. So we begin with the model stuff, then we're on the boat, and then the third chapter is... Uh, the survivors of the boat being taken over by pirates. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when they have to sort of fend for themselves on a Mediterranean island, it upends the social hierarchy, specifically a character played by Dolly DeLeon, who is, you know, one of the, the silent uh, maids on board, suddenly because she is capable of doing things that no one else seems to be able to do. She runs the show. Yeah. With a heavy hand. Mm -hmm. And a heavy hand is also how Ruben Ostland runs the show, I would say. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I like his filmmaking stuff. Okay. I like how he frames 
things. Mm-hmm. I like how there's a there's an extended sequence of people puking and oh, yeah. uh, diarrheaing everywhere and 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 toilets as the ship is rocking on a stormy sea and toilets begin to explode. releasing their contents. It is uh, you know a symphony of scatology. Yes, and. There's something almost horny about the way his camera moves uh, through this, like, terrible storm and the expulsion of everyone's body fluids. It becomes, I thought quite often of the Poseidon adventure. Uh, me too. And, and, I th- and as I thought, as I watched it, I thought, this is the Poseidon adventure only with people you don't care about at all. And if they all die, you don't mind. It is, as Mad Magazine called it, the poop side down adventure. <laughs> At various points in this ca- catastrophic scenario, you do start to feel sympathy for a variety of the characters, sort of like here and there. Mm-hmm. But then as the powerless become powerful, you think, oh, you're terrible too. Like everyone is rotten. Well, it, you know? it is. I mean, it kind of it turns into that thing of you know the sort of Heather's slash massacre at Central High thing, which is when there is an oppressed group that becomes the dominant group, that they will immediately step into the same awful behavior yeah. of their former tormentors, rather than create some socialist paradise in which everyone is equal. I think Harris Dickinson is really great. In this I've, film. I've been a big fan of his ever since. Beach He's Rats. got that dumb, hot look. Mm-hmm. And he knows he has that dumb, hot look. And he's good at giving you that dumb, hot look. And it is his character. He knows how to work blankness. and But I've seen him in other stuff where he doesn't do that at all. So right. You're right. It's very much a thing that he is calculatedly knowing how to perform. Charlby Dean, I think, is also really yes. uh, excellent here. Her... Her jealousies and her ego clash with her need to take down other people's jealousies and egos. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of interesting. Uh, Dolly DeLeon as Abigail is something else. Yeah. There are two women in the cast supporting characters. Um, uh, an actress named Vicky Berlin as like the leader of the service staff yes. <laughs> um, who is determined to maintain her position no matter what happens. Yes. Like the ship sinks and she's like, nope, I'm still employed by this line. Uh, and then there's a really small role, uh, a character named Alicia, played by a woman named Alicia Erickson, whose job it is to smile and be nervous oh, every time she's, she's on in the camera. Scene with the oligarch's wife. Yeah, that's and such a that is such a great Ruben <laughs> Austin. Like, oh god, make it stop. Scene. So I'm I'm a fan of his ability to obs- weaponize awkwardness. Weaponize awkwardness. <laughs> He's a great chronicler of, you know. Uh, uh, social faux pas ego and delusion and you know the undercurrent of selfishness yes. that runs through guess what everybody yeah. cruelty for sure um, he's great at these little details about those characteristics in people but then he he hammers on it like he gives it to you once 
And you're like, oh, yeah, I see. And then he moves on, but then he comes back to it and gives it a big wallop. <laughs> and I think, why are you doing that? Why Why did you? Yeah. It, it happens so much less frequently in force majeure yeah. than it happens in the square, which is my least favorite of his films. I yeah, think. I would agree. Because you are... He's attacking his own kind <laughs> in the square, and I find that weird. And I and I, and there's a way to satirize your own sort of like cultural world, mm. I think, without making it seem like that cultural world has no worth. I I think the square is maybe his most egregiously I got it the first time movie. Yeah, you know. Uh, whereas I, I think even in this one where he's like again not a light touch, it it it, it, it it's not quite as banging the same chords as uh, as the square Having said was. all that, I found this really entertaining. <laughs> yes, it's very because funny. It, 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 the, the, the action uh, mounts yes. and the stakes of the life and death stakes keep mounting and everyone does not make it out alive. So, yeah, it is the Poseidon adventure but about class war and about really bad people you know the people uh, the, uh, this is one thing I always love about the Poseidon adventure people do some pretty mean things to each other in that film but everybody gets a level of care a moment of grace that that makes you feel awful when they do die mm. you know you get to know these characters you get to love them and then they die um, these characters you get to know and you think, yeah, <laughs> it's okay if you drown. You know, like <laughs> someone else will come along and right. be the same kind of terrible as you. Yeah. So, do I think this is a great movie? No, it's fine, but also fun to watch. I would. It's a movie that I would recommend that people see, but if. If the scatology is is the sticking point for you, I get it. That's the whole reason to go see it. That, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, I think there's some there's. It, uh, we we it, often say the barf of puke. <laughs> this is the barf multiplied by the puke. Yes, divided by puke collab. Divided by the square root of diarrhea. Yeah. Like, and that's a lot of fun but but like you know i never uh it did not give me the jackass dry heaves like i was too busy just <laughs> yeah, laughing because, and yeah because you know it's movie you i know guess it's, yes that's you know it's true movie fake. Yeah, that's true i had the jackass when they do it on jackass it's really happening yes yes that, that is true <laughs> that yellow snow cone is yellow for yes, a reason yes, in the jackass films yes. or rather the first jackass film. right Oh, there's other stuff in the other ones that made Where you dry heaved yes. at the Beverly Center. <laughs> it was such a tender, romantic couple moment for me. <laughs> I'm glad it's a memory, good memory. Turning my head to you and being like, I can't believe you might actually start throwing up in the Beverly Center. I wouldn't have come, been the... Come off it. I wouldn't have been the first nor the last to lose my lunch in the Beverly Center. Now, that's the thing. Like, they would have just like, oh, yeah, that's Tuesday. That theater saw it all. <laughs> um, so, um, God's Country. Yes, which we can't 
review, per se. Not really. Um, we can talk about things that we liked in it. And the reason we can't review it is because if you're a longtime listener to this show, you know of recurring character, friend and neighbor. Recurring character. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be happy to be called that. Friend and neighbor Gary Cotty. He was been, the first assistant director on this film. I was getting there. Yeah. He's been on the show many times. We talk about him all the time. He was one of the first assistant directors of the film. There were two. There were two. The, the, the movie pre-COVID, pre-COVID and pre-lockdown and post-lockdown. Exactly. The, the movie had to shut down for a while, and so he he worked on the first chunk of it, and then when they came back for reshoots, he was uh, elsewhere employed. So there were apparently. I'm not going to go into not de- reshoots. I'm not going to go into details. Uh, yeah, not reshoots. Just no. finishing the movie. Right. There were uh, there was at least one person cast in this film who couldn't come back for the. Finish to finish the shoot, mm-hmm. and they had to replace that person. Huh. I'll tell you about it later. Okay. But yeah, I heard that whole story uh, when we went. Um, it's still, it's on a super abbreviated schedule right now at the Lumiere here in yeah. Los Angeles, and it is already currently streaming. You yes, can, it is you on can, demand. It's on demand. You can watch it. Um, it is based on a James Lee Burke short story. It is the directorial debut of Julian uh, Higgins. Julian Higgins, starring the great Tandy Way Newton. Um, she is a college professor uh, in Montana, and she is she is not from around here, as uh, everyone likes to constantly remind her. Right. Um, and uh, she is a woman who is at odds with. Uh, her the landscape with with the locals and even with the other the, the other university professors. Yeah. Um, these hunters start uh, parking their pickup truck in her driveway to go into the woods to go hunting. Which, they're not just hunters; they're obnoxious rednecks. Uh, yeah, they're they're <laughs> they're gross knuckle draggers. But uh, anyway, she uh, objects to this, even though apparently it's just a thing that people do around here. And the more that she complains about it and tries to seek some assistance from the local law or to take matters into her own hands, the the higher the stakes get in her They retaliate and they escalate. Yes. Yeah. That's all we'll tell you. Yeah. Um, it's a very moody movie. Like, it is... And it is absolutely a Western. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's Montana in the depth, depths of winter... Um, you know, we find out a lot about Newton's character and, and why she's there and how she got there and where she'd been before. Um, and it is very much a thing where she alone has to confront the bad, bad men around her uh, because no one else is going to come to her aid. So, yeah, we can't really say this is a review. Yeah. But it is a fine film. Yeah. And I don't mean that in the sense of, Oh, it's, it's fine. fine. I mean... You mean the 1930s? This is a finely made film. It is. Uh, for, a, for a feature debut, it's very impressive. Yeah. And I think uh, Tanyway Newton... First of all, she's given it everything. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see some, you know... Uh, I, t- I always say I don't care about this stuff until I care about it. And sure. I would like some attention paid to her at the end of the year by... The people who pay attention to these yes. things. Yes. No, I, you know? I, I would love it if she were getting 10% of the awards talk that Kate Blanchett is currently getting. Um, I think the Spirit Awards, this is exactly their kind of movie. Yeah. And so I hope they recognize that and, and step forward and, and provide some accolades. I really like the landscape happening yeah. here. I really like um, his use of 
really long, wide shots. Yeah, they, they like, reminded how do you, how do you me make big of, sky country oppressive. Right, exactly. <laughs> In a way, uh, I was telling Gary this. It reminded me of hit the road, mm. where the most emotionally devastating stuff happens. And, the, and it's happening to someone who's a speck on the screen. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, this is this is a good movie. I don't yeah. care that our one of our best friends was the first assistant director. If it weren't any good, we just wouldn't talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? God's country? Never heard of it. <laughs> oh, no, what a shame. We missed it. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> All right, Hellraiser. Yes. Alonzo, what is your history with Hellraiser? Uh, none. That's right. I, I, I did a Q&A once with Clive Barker years ago. The Skirball Center here in Los Angeles used to do this really cool program, which I wish they still did, where filmmakers would screen a film, not that they had made, but that had influenced them greatly. Yeah. And then talk about it afterwards with a film critic. So I got to do a few of those. Uh, I did a I did an evening with Greg Araki where we watched uh, Terrence Malick's Badlands. I did one with um, uh, Amy Heckerling where she talked about Mean Streets and how it directly influenced Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which at first I thought, what? And then by the end of the conversation, I was like, oh, I totally get it. Um, and then I also got to do one with Clive Barker where he screened David Cronenberg's The Brood. Um, but I have never seen any of the Hellraiser movies. Well, that's a sad thing for you. Well, I, you know, I can, I, I'm not on my deathbed. I can start catching up. <laughs> Part of me thinks you might not like the first couple of Hellraiser movies because they are, they're very sweaty and they're really <laughs> gory <laughs> and I love them. Right. Um, they are also qualitatively different from this one. Now, okay. as the series went on, well, when it, as it began, you, there was this very palpable sense of, like, the libidinous, right? Uh-huh. And as time went on, it just became, you know, an excuse to destroy people. Right. But it had a meaning initially, you know, the, the insatiable desire to, you know, have more and more uh, uh, you know, physical sensation mm-hmm. indulged. And the people who, who got that puzzle cube and wound up with the Cenobites, I won't say they had it coming, <laughs> but there's a sense that... They were bad faith actors. They, they, there, was a sense, there was a sense among those, you know, uh, human characters in the first couple movies that they tried to reach too deeply into the fire. Mm. Right, and then, like I said, the, the the sequels were the law of diminishing returns in a major way. This one is from David Bruckner, who did The Night House. Yes, and written, co-written by Ben Collins and Luke uh, Piotrowski, who also co-wrote The Night House. Mm-hmm. And they've gone back to Clive Barker's novella, The Hellbound Heart, and kind of changed up a little bit about... They've changed it up a bit in that it is now uh, an allegory... Uh, well, it's not even an allegory. <laughs> it is about... Yeah. 
the spiral of addiction and how people can find themselves, you know, not just struggling with their own addiction, but the consequences of their addiction. Sure. So it stars uh, Odessa Azion, who is uh, Pamela Adlon's daughter. Yes. She's trying to stay clean. She's newly sober. She has a brother, uh, and her brother has a boyfriend, and she has a roommate, uh, and all those those three other people, her brother and the two friends, are trying to help her. Yeah. Like their lives sometimes seem to revolve around keeping her clean. So she's a lot. She's a handful, and she's a mess. And she has a new boyfriend. Yeah. And that's always bad news. <laughs> when you're trying to get clean and sober, yeah. they always tell great, you. Great time for new relationships. They always tell you in those 12-step meetings, don't. Yeah. don't could, could you not just for a minute? Right. But she's like, no, I got a new boyfriend. Met him in a 12-step meeting. <laughs> okay. He tries to get her to go on. He doesn't just try. He succeeds in getting her to go on a on a robbery. Yeah. They wind up in possession of the puzzle box. A few twists and turns. Blade comes out, pokes you, boom! Cenobites! <laughs> Here they are. The Cenobites demand sacrifices. Uh, and the damage that... The character's name is Riley. The damage that she has caused in life... Is reflected. Is reflected in now this supernatural dimension. And the people she caused trouble to in life are going to be torn to shreds. Are going to be sent a bit. Yeah. There's also a very powerful rich dude involved here, played yes. uh, played by Goran Viznich. Mm-hmm. And his participation in this is something that the film explains as time goes on. I won't spoil it for you. But... Um, what I love about this, uh, there are two things I love about this. I, th- this is a, I think this is a great re- refresh mm-hmm. of this uh, world. What I love about it is that it is not fully involving its. It's not fully involving itself with just slaughtering people. It is about this young woman, and the cycle that she has gotten herself into, mm-hmm. the cycle of her addiction and the people it harmed. And as she goes deeper into the world of the Cenobites and is trying to get the puzzle to to right itself again, what she learns is that once she unlocks it, she has to pick you know, a configuration to kind of stick with. Right. I won't spoil it for you. But it brings the metaphor home very, uh, very effectively. Very effectively. Um, I was reminded of, you still haven't seen uh, uh, 3,000 uh, Years of Solitude, I, or whatever <laughs> that movie is called. <laughs> Longing. <laughs> it stars Van Heflin. <laughs> That's what happens to me late in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen that. Anyway, it, it reminded me of that in terms of, like, in in three thousand years, you know, Tilda Swinton accidentally uncovers this this gin who like offers her three wishes, but because she is a narratologist and is a sort of an expert in storytelling, yeah. she's like, oh no 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 no, 
this never ends well. <laughs> like she's very, she's very kind of skeptical and trying to sort of figure out how do I work through this thing without being punished or having some awful, ironic, whatever happened to me. And in the same way, I think Riley is offered, you know, the, 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 the things, you know, the Cenobites are, 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 are laying down in front of her, all of these possibilities. And she's like, no, 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 <laughs> I, I have to figure out a way to like, you know, do the thing that's going to cause the least damage because I have caused quite enough already. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and so it is, this, it's this notion of like what happens when you are offered on paper, everything you've ever wanted and are smart enough, you know, you know, like, like the characters in scream, you know, you, you know, you know, this narrative well enough to be like, uh, uh-uh, no, there's this is this. If it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Right. And I have to, follow the rules of this universe and get to the other side of it with, you know, doing as little damage as possible. This character doesn't know what she's gotten herself into, at least in the supernatural terms. Sure. Um, And her, 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 her human earthly despair is what drives what she accomplishes with the Cenobites. Right. Um, her performance is great. Yeah, I think she's really great in this. I, I, I we we often grade horror on a sliding scale, mm-hmm. and we don't pause long enough to think. You know, the acting could be better sometimes. <laughs> I, I was talking about this. There is there is acting taking place. Yeah, when, in this film, when we review this on Breakfast All Day, I was saying like you, you look at this, you look at the cast of of Barbarian, you look at uh, what yeah. Mia Goth is doing in Pearl. You know, like there's some really great acting going on in horror right now, and Jamie Clayton. I was just getting. To, I was just getting to Jamie Clayton is so great as Pity. She is the uh, the Hell Priest, yeah, or AKA Pinhead. Pinhead. The most ethereal, beautiful Pinhead, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also nails that tone of mystery, but also nails the. Uh, menace the 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 menace and the inevitability of this of this mm. creature sure um in that uh Riley the character of Riley the young woman who's the addict is like I don't want this she says it I don't want this and Jamie Clayton just says yes you do <laughs> like oh wait yeah she does actually kind of maybe hmm. Or at least she did, and now she doesn't. But maybe she does, and uh, yeah, she could again. Um, so she's great yeah. as the priest. Um, the, the still photography that they're using as publicity photos. She looks like a twinkle light Christmas tree. Like it is, <laughs> it is gorgeous. And all the Cenobites, the character design. Um, I I wrote the review for the wrap, and I named the people. Uh, who do the? Uh, and, I'm going to pull their names up and, right and now. Keith very... Thompson, Josh Russell, and Sierra Russell. They designed the creatures and they they made the costumes and. Hmm. And the original fashion, fashion, fashion. The original Hellraiser look for this is a lot more like BDSM, right? I I would say that. Yeah, like I mean, that's not a world that I've ever really been a part of, but it's certainly. Clive Barker's, you know, yes. reference point. And so originally, yeah, those, the Cenobites and, and, and the Hell Priest were, you know, in black and 
you know, bound looking kind of strappy mm-hmm. uh, garments. Here it's flesh and meat and everything's just sort of like a beautiful pink and red and white and it's it's gore but meticulous yeah. and I could look at that all day. I love I love the way they look. So yeah, you I, guys, this is good Hellraiser. It, and as, as somebody who who came in completely cold, I, I I dug it. I think it's very effective, and and I'm glad I got to see it. Guess what? Now what? Now we're done. Okay, fine. And we're gonna skip letters today uh, because I'm at that point in the day where if I try to read, I'll just sound like okay. All right, fair enough. Not gonna do it. Uh, next maybe time we'll we'll, we'll double up. up on some letters next time. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Thanks for listening. Uh, hey, check out my other shows, won't you? Um, Maximum Fun. Sorry, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network. Breakfast all day. The it's a tricky one. Uh, with Christy Lemire. We're on YouTube. We're also a podcast and. Uh, Breakfast. I already just said that. See now, I can't, I can't even talk either. It is it is right. getting late. I'm and deck you. the hallmark. I've been mm-hmm. popping in uh, once a week for that. And dude, make sure you tune in uh, a week from Saturday. That's the twenty second of October. Did you say dude or do? I meant to say do, but who even knows what I said? <laughs> dude, turn dude. in. Tune in. Tune in. Turn on. On the 22nd, Drop out. <laughs> uh, go to the uh, Deck the Hallmarks YouTube channel. We'll be doing the all-day marathon. Um, as this is a Saturday? Saturday the 22nd. I'm going to get on that thing and harass y'all. Great. For the beginning of the uh, Hallmark countdown to Christmas. I mean, sometimes. And, you know, by the way... Most we're, times I'm just going to check to make sure you got your mask on. Fine. We are getting into the holiday season. Uh, it's a great time to pick up a copy of I'll Be Home for Christmas Movies, the book I co-wrote with the Deck the Hallmark guys. This is that moment. Available wherever books are sold. Time to move the units. And you can also pre-order uh, uh, Brian Earle's Christmas Past, a book I consulted on that's coming out this year. It's coming out at the beginning of November, uh, which has a lot of fun historical tidbits about the holiday so yeah, all that is happening, and um, you we have can, a Patreon, yes, Patreon.com/slash Linoleum Knife. A variety of uh, programs, levels, and uh, uh, podcasts and events. For example, this Saturday night we are doing our monthly LK Club meeting, where we all sit around and watch the same movie at the same time, and we talk about it on Discord. This Saturday night. 6 p.m. Pacific, we will be watching the glorious 1971 bisexual exploitation lesbians in the desert as vampires riding dune buggies horror sexy movie, (laughs) The Velvet Vampire. Yes. Whose climax takes place in a Ralph's supermarket. (laughs) Wait, are you sure? Are you thinking of Messiah of Evil? Maybe it's... A different supermarket. I, I seem to recall there's a chase through downtown that goes like into a bus station. I swear she winds up in a supermarket. Maybe. It's been a while since I've seen it. It but has I been quite wait. a while since we've seen it. That's why we want to watch it again. Yeah, it's going to be Because it's a, it's a romantic film for us. Of course. All this and more <laughs> on our Patreon, patreon.com slash linoleum knife. Uh, subscribe to the podcast at uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. We will read it on the air. Like this one from Too Lazy to Write Any th- uh, who says, Greatness, fellas, the two of you are my favorite film critics. My favorite critic of all time is Alexander Pope. I know, a bit pretentious. Uh, my question is, who are some of your favorite film critics that I could also check out? Thanks, love the show. 
Uh, well, you know, our dear friend Manola Dargis of the New York Times will never lead you wrong. Um, no, that's true. You know, uh, check out uh, uh, Bibbs and Whitney over the Critically Acclaimed podcast. They've always got uh, fascinating insights on things. Um, so many. I feel like I'm on the spot here now. I like Jay Oberman. Yes. I like Amy Tobin. Mm-hmm. I like, um, oh, dude, the name of the guy who edited the Brisson book. I'm blanking on his name. He's great. I'll remember it and then get to you later on that uh, one. Robert Abley and Carlos Aguilar, who write for The Wrap and The LA Times. They're both terrific. Uh, Kyle Turner, I, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's plenty of folks out there. Uh, but thank you for listening and thanks for leaving that five-star review. We appreciate it. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Spotify and Stitcher Radio, um, Apple Music, Google Play, uh, CastBox, Podbean, etc. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Check out all of his good stuff at bluebleu.bandcamp.com. He's doing a live show soon at Whammy in L.A. I might actually try and go to that. Um Drop uh, uh, follow us on the socials. Uh, beef, <laughs> wrong show. <laughs> follow us on the socials at Linoleum Cast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. We've really got to go. You Thank know you what for else? Listening. You know what else? What? You know what else? What? 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 This weekend, October 15th or 16th, I haven't decided yet. It's Saturday or Sunday, mm-hmm. depending on when I have time, is the beginning, the unveiling. The annual jumpstart of the uh, Instagram account called DXAX Tree. Nice. Alonso Duralde is professionally a Christmas person, but I'm personality based a Christmas person. <laughs> and we have a lot of Christmas decorations. It's true. <laughs> and it came to my attention. Uh, a few years back that there were a lot of my friends who were like, will you stop posting about all the Christmas ornaments on your tree and all the decorations in your house and blah, blah, blah. I mute you until January. On your personal Instagram. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I don't want to make my friends mute me. I'll just start an alt account that's all Christmas decorations. And so we've been doing this for like, I don't know, three, four years now. Mm -hmm. And we started up mid-October every year because Christmas and Halloween and Thanksgiving exist all together in my mind at the same time. So, of course, the fourth quarter. They're going to exist in your mind, too, on that Instagram account. Go follow it if you like it. If you like that kind of thing, do it. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We'll be back next time with more. Until then. Goodbye. <laughs>